0: Michelle Young, and I'm Sarah Merrigan,
1: and I'm Sam Tracy.
0: And thanks for tuning in to season four of This Week in Drugs, the leading podcast on all things drugs and drug policy, including news, science, health, and history.
2: This show is an all-volunteer project produced by alumni of Students for Sensible Drug Policy, an international student-led organization working to end the war on drugs.
1: Every week on This Week in Drugs, we hope to educate the public and decision-makers about drugs in order to eliminate harmful misconceptions and improve public policy. And hopefully have
0: some fun while we're at it. We envision a world in which our laws and attitudes surrounding drugs are grounded in science, compassion, health, and human rights.
1: Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this week's show.
3: As always, we'll start off with the weekly news and forecast with Sam and Rochelle. Then is an SSCP peer education drug segment with me, all about nicotine. And finally, a roundtable discussion in which Sarah interviews the creators of Cute Animals Doing Drugs about their project. Thanks for being here.
0: And now it's time for our weekly news and forecast, where Sam and I go over some of the biggest news and headlines in drugs and drug policy from around the world each week. Uh, Sam, do you want to take it away with our first story this week?
1: Absolutely, and so for our first one this week, um, we're recording this on Saturday, which is July 1st, which is uh, exciting and important because it's the beginning of the second half of the year, and is also... And Canada
0: Day. Oh yeah,
1: Canada Day too. Oh yeah, so we were talking (laughs) during the pre-show, and apparently Canada's only 150 years old, which was Mm -hmm. shocking to me, that it was like after the American Civil War.
0: Yeah, it's a little baby country.
1: Little baby. I thought America was a baby. We're like the big brother. Yeah. Older than the hats. But. Also on July first, in addition to Canada becoming 150 years old, there are a bunch of new state laws taking effect because a lot of state legislatures use July first as the effective date of new legislation. Uh, And so we're going to just run through some of the obviously the drug related ones. Um, So there's a lot that we probably missed here. We're not trying to make this comprehensive, but just a few highlights uh, from eight different states. And uh, so we're going to run through these real quick. Uh, The first one being that. Nevada, uh, which legalized marijuana by ballot initiative for adults uh, this past November, now has that going into effect with the first legal sales probably just taking place a few hours ago. Hooray. Yeah. And so this is exciting because there's the fifth state to do so, um, but they're still working on social use. So I expect that there's probably going to be a lot of uh, public smoking and stuff on the Las Vegas Strip now just because they don't give people anywhere else to do it. So thoughts on this law?
0: Um... Yeah. I mean, it's good overall. This is a good law that we supported. So it's good to see it being implemented and in such a timely manner, too, mm-hmm. uh, because in case
1: that's a good point. Listeners mm-hmm. forgot.
0: Yeah, this only happened <laughs> in
1: November um, mm-hmm. and Massachusetts and Maine are still waiting um, mm-hmm. and California is still working on their implementation, too. So Nevada really knocked it out of the park with us.
0: Yeah, um, as you mentioned, there's, there's got to be some sort of social use solution. Uh, we're seeing in Denver now that this is coming, becoming, you know, uh, an untenable situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so as more legal states roll out, as Massachusetts did, I think, um, you know, social use should be at least allowed as part mm-hmm. of the legalization initiatives. Yeah, if not ours explicitly. regulators
1: are allowed to make the license and we're not quite at that point in the process but hopefully they'll keep that in and actually, you know, follow through with it. Definitely. Yeah. And so sticking around on the marijuana news for a second, we also have uh, in Florida, um, back in November, they passed medical marijuana with a ballot initiative. Then the legislature wanted to get involved, of course. And so they did an implementer bill, uh, which among many things, it does a bunch of business licensing stuff, uh, but it also forbids smoking of medical marijuana. Um, And this takes effect today. uh, But John Morgan, uh, who is one of the main financial backers of the uh, campaign, said that he's going to sue over it because that was not in the initiative so thoughts on florida
0: um i don't know much about the details of the medical marijuana Mm -hmm. law it's good that it got finally got passed since they were so close in 2014 also yeah um i do agree that smoking marijuana uh for medical use even though that seems counterintuitive is like an important option to have because um, you know, unprocessed mm-hmm. flour is always much cheaper than processed products and extracts. So, for lin- low-income patients, having the the option to be able to um, purchase raw, unprocessed flour is an important one.
1: Awesome. Yeah, and so we've got 30 seconds left, so I'm going to do a lightning round of oh new no. laws. Oh okay, keep going. Connecticut, bail reform that restricts judges' ability to set money bail, so basically trying to reduce that and let people out of jail faster. Yay or nay? Yay. Yay! And that was backed by the ACLU and the Yankee Institute, which is libertarian, so that was like a really cool partnership. Um, in Oklahoma, major criminal justice reform, which basically reclassified a bunch of stuff from felonies into misdemeanors. Yay or nay?
0: Yay!
1: Yay! Uh, Virginia, people no longer <laughs> lose their licenses for marijuana possession conviction. Yay!
0: Yay! Driver's licenses, right?
1: Driver's licenses. Oh yeah, I should have said that. Yeah, okay. driver's licenses. Hooray! Um, hooray! Hooray! Um, they also increased their limit of alcohol content, uh, specifically for odorless, colorless alcohol. So I think just vodka, um, but sold in stores from 101 to 151 proof. Wow. Um, I guess I don't really care that much. It's more of a nitty gritty thing, but yay for being able Less to regulation. have more options. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. guess. Um, and also setting up syringe exchanges in Virginia. Big Yay. Yay. And then also, lastly, uh, Maryland, uh, some Opioid Education Community Action Act, um, which increases funding for education for opioid addiction. Yay or nay? Or it's Um, probably a lot more complicated than that one.
0: Yeah, (laughs) potentially yay. It's not an outright Mm -hmm. nay, but it depends on how it's implemented
1: hmm. And then finally, in Georgia, uh, they expanded their conditions list for their CBD marijuana program. Um, so this is kind of a yay, but also it's a nay just because it's still just a CBD program. So it's not really accessible to people.
0: Yeah. Ditto. A, a very restrained yay. Low
1: mm-hmm. caps, yeah. low caps. Yay. Low caps, yay. 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 Yeah, yeah, (laughs) but that is all for now. Uh, Listeners, if you know of a new drug law that's coming into effect in your own state um, that you want us to mention on next week's show, be sure to let us know if there's anything we missed.
0: So moving on now to our next story, which involves new laws being introduced and not laws taking effect. Um, this one is about a really outrageous bill that was just introduced in the Pennsylvania State Senate this past week by two Republican senators from just outside Pittsburgh, um, Senator Kim Ward and Senator Randy v- Vulakovich. So this bill Nailed is it. what? Nailed, Nailed it. it. Thank you. <laughs> <Vlakovich>. <laughs> this bill is aimed at addressing the ongoing opioid epidemic, which, of course, is hitting Western Pennsylvania pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, But it's impossible to see where their proposal could possibly come from, either um, uh, on a basis of science or compassion. So what this bill actually does is it's a sentence enhancement. So it adds one additional year of prison time and a $5,000 fine to any individuals who are convicted of distributing heroin if they're also found in possession of more than three doses of naloxone. Wow. Yes. In, in layman's words, it punishes heroin dealers for carrying naloxone with them in case they want to keep themselves or their customers alive. hmm um, Wow. So, thoughts on this?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so many layers to of, of, like, terribleness and craziness to this. I mean, one of them being just that they're enhancing penalties for harm reduction effectively. Like, this is a way to help people who are overdosing. And... By you know finding something you're discouraging that behavior and so by doing this they're like very specifically trying to prevent people from being revived from fatal overdoses and punishing trying to revive people so it seems like their intention is just that they're trying to get more people to just die is that the idea i mean
0: uh, that's that's basically what it sounds like so according to mm-hmm. a memo from the co-sponsors of the bill again people from regions that are very hard hit by this, by this epidemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, this measure is meant to disincentivize the use of naloxone as quote, a marketing tool for dealers who want to increase their chances of a repeat customer, end quote.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So it because is drug dealers need
1: marketing tools to keep people coming back.
0: Right. Like mm-hmm. as if, as if the substance and you know, the deductive potential is not mm-hmm. enough. Right. Yeah. Um, I think what we're seeing a return to and it's hard to say that we're returning to this mentality since it's only, you know, Mm -hmm. we've been shifting away from the criminal justice framework for barely two years into a public health framework. And, Mm -hmm. you know, us on this show and other reformers around the nation have been celebrating the shift in mindset. But if feels like we've spoken too early like Mm -hmm. it's we we haven't even made any progress yet in in seeing more public health oriented solutions taking effect and already it seems like people are tired of saving lives Mm -hmm. like it's just too exhausting for them to exercise this much this much compassion Um, Mm -hmm. and it seems like it's easier for a lot of these people to just say well that's a wasted life anyway Um, and not every life is worth saving and that they are doing this to themselves
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that is definitely going to be a theme this episode because that does lead into my next story pretty well. But just on this one too, I think it is really worth pointing out that I mean, some of the, they're framing this as if it's like, you know, a professional business person who's trying to use naloxone in order to like hook more dealers and increase their profits. but, So many dealers are addicts themselves and people who are just selling to support their own addiction and not really, you know, getting rich, making tons of money off of this. And they might be using Naloxone, you know, just to save themselves. And so even preventing them from having that, even for self-preservation, even if, you know, they're not offering it to other people is pretty disgusting by itself.
0: Absolutely, and uh, I'm not sure of the details of Pennsylvania's uh, drug distribution laws, but potentially this might capture people who are simply sharing substances too. Mm -hmm. So if you have naloxone on you to like save yourself or save your friend that you're using with, this might um, you know further penalize you. Mm -hmm. But this is a this is a great segue to your next story. Do you want to take it away, Sam?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So this one, uh, another sad story of um, it sounds like you know politicians who. Uh, are just getting frustrated, which is understandable, but then taking those frustrations out in a very bad direction. Um, and so this one is that Daniel Picard, uh, who is a city councilor in the small city of Middletown, Ohio, has made a really shocking proposal that's even made national news now. Um, so he said that he wants a three-strike policy for overdose victims, meaning that after police have saved someone from a fatal over or from dying from an overdose three times, once they've responded that many times, they will then. Ref- Refuse to respond to calls regarding that person in the future, uh, meaning the city councilor wants a system in which first responders will knowingly and deliberately just allow people to die uh, rather than actually responding to this nine one one calls. And to be clear, this wasn't a proposal that you know was discount uh, discussed by the whole city council. Um, the facts of the matter are actually explained in a really good blog post by the city manager, uh, who seems frustrated by this proposal and all of the attention it's brought. This like other wise, just kind of small, quiet city. Um, And so Picard had asked the legal department of the city to research whether they had a legal obligation to respond to overdose calls and then said that if they don't have this obligation, that he'd be wanting to support this alternative system in which they would just stop responding to repeat calls. Um, So that research apparently has not yet been concluded. Um, I assume that, yes, you do have the obligation, just in the same way that if you're running I mean, we can get to some analogies in a second, but I don't know if you, have, even if you view drug abuse and overdose as something that's 100% entirely a choice, it's not like we have policies in which like, if people get in multiple car crashes because they're speeding and doing something reckless mm-hmm. that, Oh, after we've responded, we're just not going to resuscitate you. We're not going to help you in that case. Um, and so it doesn't, seem to make any sense whatsoever to do that for for drug abuse.
0: Yeah, it just seems incredibly callous to say, you know, that this is a waste of financial resources Mm -hmm. when um, we're talking about someone's life and we have no idea what kinds of um, support or treatment resources people are receiving after the first time they're Mm -hmm. revived or saved. Right. Or the first two or three times that happens, you know, that Mm -hmm. um, the town is really showing an effort to help these people overcome their substance use or abuse Mm -hmm. Um, other than just saying you know you're I mean it comes back to what I was saying on the previous story it just seems like people are giving up hope Mm -hmm. um, and like have run out of compassion
1: yeah yeah that really does just seem to, to sum it up perfectly just like running out of compassion and at certain times you can kind of understand the fatigue of things and like he does have one certain good point that he pointed out that in Middletown, it costs uh, just over eleven hundred dollars to respond to each one of these overdoses. And they're now getting, you know, hundreds of these calls. And so as someone who's trying to, you know, manage the budget and all of these different priorities, that it, it is becoming a much bigger weight. But at the same time, kind of the obvious Better solution to this would be to reduce the cost of those responses, maybe not sending out an ambulance every time or coming up with some sort of thing in which we can get fast Narcan responses that are specifically dedicated to overdoses or something like that, rather than just saying, oh, we should just stop responding to emergency calls. It just doesn't seem like the right solution. And so just to, to wrap things up, too, I do want to remind people that this guy, his name is Daniel Picard, um, and he is a public official. So if you're a constituent of his or live somewhere else in Ohio or want to send him some good research about why actually saving people's lives is a better idea than this, uh, you can reach him at danp at cityofmiddletown.org or you can call his office at 513-423-4063.
0: And so, for our last big story this week, um a new study was published in the American Journal of Alcohol and Drug Abuse, examining the terms "hard drug" and "soft drug, and mm-hmm. how those terms are used, particularly in the scientific and research literature. Mm-hmm. So culturally and colloquially, the term "hard drug" is used to denote substances that are viewed as more addictive, more potent, and more toxic than their comparatively benign uh, than the comparatively benign soft drugs. But the concept also has a normative aspect to it. Hard drugs um, are considered worse for you and that you should avoid them. There's all the stigma around being a hard drug user versus a soft drug user. But what Mm -hmm. this study found when it examined the use of both terms across 132 peer-reviewed research papers, so these are like uh, other scientific studies, um, that were published fairly recently between 2011 and 2015, Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of inconsistency in what researchers considered hard drugs and soft drugs. And also that the use of those terms did not really track with whether a substance um, had high addictive potential or toxicity. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And this this is is... super important or like interesting to see some actual research on this now, um, just because this is, I mean, we've talked about it a ton on the show about How exactly we talk about drug use and addiction and the marijuana exceptionalism is a a big subject of discussion now within the reform movement. And so like having some actual data to look at. And I feel like there is also at the root of this kind of a lot of kind of internalized stigma among drug users who maybe grew up their whole life hearing, Oh, drugs are bad. Drug users are bad. And then they start using marijuana and they're like, Oh, but I'm just a soft u- drug user. Like I don't right. use hard drugs. Those are the bad ones. And right. yeah.
0: Um, yeah. And I think for our listeners, particularly people who have thought a lot about drug policy and mm-hmm. kind of the inconsistencies or that we see in current drug policies, these findings may not be that surprising Mm-hmm. Um, but for the person who wrote about the study, who is, you know, I guess a scientist. He's a writer for mm-hmm. Discover magazine, he was even surprised to see something like alcohol included in this study because for him, he didn't consider hmm. that a drug, you know, which oh, is wow. another yeah. thing which is another thing that we've spoken about on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. How like alcohol obviously is an intoxicating substance. And there's even yeah. more of an exceptionalism around that than, um, mm. cannabis.
1: Yeah. But, the whole so phrase just, drugs and alcohol. Like exactly. <laughs> Food and, and sandwiches. Yeah,
0: exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's a great example. Mm-hmm. So just some of the results, um, some of them less surprising than others, that cannabis was by far the most frequently cited quote unquote soft drug while cocaine and heroin were the leading hard drugs. um, mm. LSD and psilocybin mushrooms were also frequently listed as hard drugs, despite these substances not having a very high potential for addiction or being especially toxic. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, that disparity is not surprising, I think, to us or our listeners who are more familiar yeah. with these substances. Um, and. The researcher who reviewed this study was surprised that cocaine was listed twice as a soft drug, um, and meth was listed at least once as a soft drug, um, but and that cannabis was unexpectedly listed at least four times as a hard drug. Mm-hmm. Um, so even in in what we consider like the well-established categories of soft and hard drugs, there is yeah. some um, disagreement. Yeah, amongst and that's really you know interesting the Academics, with, yeah,
1: yeah, with cannabis too of just. Ca- Calling cannabis a hard drug, I feel like if you're calling that what a hard soft? drug, you are. Yeah, like you're defining somehow that something must be soft if that's hard. Uh, but what is safer than cannabis? I'd be curious to look that up.
0: My <laughs> only, my yeah. only guess would be stuff like like tobacco and alcohol, things oh, yeah. that are legal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a. I think that's another thing. That's another important thing to note too is that um, while the undefined understanding of what a hard drug is is things that are more that are physically bad for you Mm -hmm. Um, oftentimes what we consider soft is just what is already legal
1: yeah yeah so that's super interesting And moving into our quick hit headlines now, Uh, the first this week is that a 57-year-old black man named Carlos Cash has been released after spending 90 days in a Florida jail after police claimed that crumbs of drywall in his car were crack cocaine. Uh, police say that they did a field test when they noticed the power powder during a traffic stop, which tested positive, leading to the arrest. But after they sent it in for further analysis by the state government, it was confirmed to be drywall and not a controlled substance. So if we, if we, as we've reported on many times before, these field tests are shockingly unreliable. And I'm honestly like flabbergasted at how they're still in use.
0: The United Nations called for the decriminalization of all drugs... In its statement this week on ending discrimination in healthcare, the statement was a reminder to its member nations that one of the core principles of the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development is to, quote, ensure that no one is left behind, end quote, and to, quote, reach the furthest behind first.
1: A doctor from Brigham and Women's, which is a major hospital in Boston, has an article in Slate challenging the viral story of a police officer overdosing from exposure to fentanyl during a traffic stop, which we even reported about in episode 97. Uh, he included opinions of some other doctors who doubt it was possible to overdose from skin exposure to opiates, even carfentanil, uh, which is much more powerful than fentanyl, and proposing some alternative explanations for the incident. Uh, so we encourage listeners to check this out and. Let let us know what you think.
0: And finally, the Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals ruled this week that the DEA does not need a warrant in order to subpoena information from Oregon's Prescription Drug Monitoring Program. The program tracks prescriptions filled by pharmacies, the physicians who prescribe them and the patients who use them. All of that information is now available to the DEA without a warrant.
1: Hmm. And moving into our weekly forecast, uh, mine this week is that at the end of this month, which, uh, so July 28th and 29th, there's going to be a great event from our friends at the National Cannabis Bar Association, uh, who we interviewed on episode 39 of the show, which is quite a long time ago now. (laughs) And so they're hosting something called the Cannabis Law Institute, uh, billed as the seminal two-day cannabis industry legal education event. It's co-sponsored by the University of Denver Sturm College of Law which is in colorado of course since it's in denver and they say that cle uh, which is continuing legal education if i'm correct awesome seeing nazar from rochelle and that those credits are available for california colorado and new york but that you can contact them for info on other states and we will link to the facebook page uh in the show notes
0: And so my forecast this week is on one of the biggest pieces of drug policy that we don't really talk about enough on the show because it's complicated, confusing, and intimidating. Mm -hmm. But the Affordable Care Act has been all that anyone is talking about in federal policy this week and um, coming up this week is the July recess for Congress where Congress people go back to their home states and their home districts and so my forecast is to ask you to oppose the repeal of the Affordable Care Act and I know this seems like bar- bipartisan, like somewhat bipartisan. Um, mm-hmm. As a reminder I'm not a Democrat, I'm Canadian <laughs> um, so I'm not pro or against either political party here in the United States but the repeal of the ACA will be undoubtedly disastrous for people who suffer from mental health issues and particularly those suffering from substance use disorders, just because of how much money is being removed from treatment programs um, in those spaces. Mm -hmm. So especially if you're in one of the following 10 states, Um, that I'm about to list. But even if you're not, you should absolutely find out where your senator is having town halls or events during the recess or stop by their district office or call their office nonstop and register your protests. So here are the key 10 states, Alaska, West Virginia, Maine, Nevada, Arizona, Colorado, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Louisiana, and Arkansas. Um, And of course, we'll include a link on our website so you can find protest actions that are being planned near you or other resources for contacting your congressperson.
1: Awesome. And as the token libertarian on the show, I got to say, even I support this. And it's just so crazy to me that like the ACA is far from perfect, but repealing it without any real replacement or with like any real plan after years and years of this. Uh, or a secret, just a, no yeah, it's a secret plan that no one can read. Yes, a secret plan. We'll pass it and figure it out later kind of deal. So, yeah, I, there, there's many different Good solutions for healthcare, but this is definitely not one of them, so oppose it. Uh, but that is uh, everything for uh, this week, episode 103's Weekly News and Forecast. Uh, and as we say every single time, there's so much going on that it is pretty difficult to keep track of everything. Uh, we try our best and we report on all the interesting stories, but stuff may always slip through the cracks. And especially if you're hosting an event or something like that that you want us to know about, please feel free to reach out. Uh, you can email us at thisweekindrugs at gmail.com and you can message us on Facebook or Twitter. We don't have a paid sponsor this week, but if we did, this is where their commercial would be. Are you listening to this right now? Do you have a cool business, political campaign, website, pet cause, or literal pet that you want us to tell our hundreds of passionate listeners about? Then you're in luck. For a small fee to help cover our costs, you can get your very own 30 second ad that would go right here, be read by me, and be listened to by everyone who's hearing me say all of this right now. So if that sounds good to you, swing on over to thisweekindrugs.org and click on the sponsor button at the top to learn more. Now, back to the show.
3: Hey everyone, it's your friendly podcast producer and occasional co-host Tyler Williams. This segment will be taking place with the drug of the month and happening on alternating weeks with my This Week in Drugs history segment. For these bi-weekly peer education segments, we'll be utilizing the SSDP Just Say No peer education curriculum to deliver student-generated education to our listeners. SSDP's peer education program seeks to empower students to analyze the relationship between drug policy and drug use by providing evidence-based drug information, teaching students to recognize and address dangerous behaviors and unhealthy attitudes, and promoting pro-social and harm-reduction oriented behaviors and attitudes. We'll be taking some of the resources created and offered by SSDP and turning them into short segments about each drug, focusing on harm reduction. And, of course, these presentations are best used in interactive settings, so there are some limitations in the format. We're open to suggestions and changing it up. Please send us your feedback at thisweekindrugs at gmail.com. Although we'll be doing our best to present you with the facts, keep in mind that there are a lot of unknowns, primarily due to prohibition getting in the way of research, and even with the amount of research we have, everyone has different experiences. This week we've got a short segment for you about nicotine, um, and really kind of nicotine and tobacco, right? Uh, so a lot of this will probably be review, because there's been a lot of money and public health education that goes into this subject, so we'll keep it pretty short. So let's start talking about nicotine. You can't really talk about nicotine without talking about tobacco, which is a member of the deadly nightshade or belladonna family of flowering plants, a family that also includes potatoes, tomatoes, eggplant, and capsicum pepper plants, a family rich in alkaloids. Cigarettes typically contain about 10 milligrams of nicotine, sometimes up to 20 depending on the brand. And when you smoke a cigarette, about one to two milligrams actually gets absorbed by your body. Nicotine is also metabolized into cotinine and nicotine oxide by the lungs. Cotinine and other metabolites are excreted in urine, and they're also found in saliva and hair. Cotinine has about a 16-hour half-life, which means if you've smoked in the past day, using this metabolite as a biomarker will give your secret away in a urine screening test. So let's talk a little bit about how it works. About 10 seconds after a person smoking a cigarette it inhales, nicotine is absorbed through the skin and the mucosal linings in the nose, mouth, and lungs, and it travels through the bloodstream to the brain. It stimulates adrenal glands to produce epinephrine, a hormone and neurotransmitter that you also know as adrenaline. This increases heart rate and blood pressure while constricting blood vessels. It also stimulates the production of dopamine, a neurotransmitter that controls the brain's pleasure center. Inhaling nicotine gives the most immediate effects, because your lungs are lined with millions of tiny air sacs called alveoli. Alveoli provide an enormous surface area, more than 40 times the surface area of your skin, making it the most efficient way to get nicotine into the bloodstream. So now that we know a little bit about tobacco and nicotine, let's talk about the history and origin. In the 1500s, that's when we see the first beginning of cultivation of tobacco in the Americas. In 1614, cigarettes are first invented in Sevilla, Spain. In 1881, the cigarette rolling machine is patented and widespread. In 1894, there's a ban of sale of tobacco to minors. And in 1994, FDA finally declares nicotine dependency producing. So let's talk a little bit about the harm of nicotine and tobacco. So... We'll be referencing a study that we've talked about in a lot of these peer education segments, that uh, in which experts ranked harms on a scale of zero to three, zero representing no risk and three representing extreme risk. One of the big caveats with the study is that if you're comparing the scores between like nicotine and some of the illicit drugs, uh, it's it's kind of not a one-to-one comparison because of the way that drug prohibition uh, can actually affect their potential harms in different ways. So nicotine scored 1.24 out of 3 for physical harm, 2.21 for dependence, and 1.42 for social harm. And that's really interesting, right, because a lot of the illicit substances score much higher, uh, but that may be due to their illegality. And then uh, we're talking about another chart that measures the dangers of substances uh, by measures of dependence, withdrawal, tolerance, reinforcement, and intoxication on a scale of zero to six. And of course, uh, zero is... Uh, not at all dangerous and six is very dangerous nicotine scored the highest of six for dependence a measure of how difficult it is for the user to quit the relapse rate the percentage of people who eventually become dependent and the rating users give their own need for the substance and the degree to which the substance will be used in the face of evidence that it causes harm nicotine also scored a five for tolerance four for withdrawal three for reinforcement and a two for intoxication So we're going to talk about some of the symptoms of uh, nicotine dependence, since we've established that it's a pretty heavily dependency-causing drug. So some of the common symptoms are restlessness, trouble sleeping, irritability, headaches, anxiety, and heightened stress. Almost all smokers have experienced at least one symptom of nicotine dependence. The more nicotine a smoker consumes, the more symptoms of dependence are exhibited. Over 60% of Daily smokers met strict diagnostic criteria for having become nicotine dependent. And we know that early use increases the risk of nicotine dependence. That's about it for the information we have about nicotine. Uh, not much of it is super positive. Uh, and that's certainly, you know, not trying to be biased. It's just, that's, that's the information that we have. Um, you know, a lot of people choose to use tobacco and choose to use nicotine and we don't either, you know, endorse or condemn that decision. Uh, but we hope people that, you know, look at the facts and uh, make their own informed decisions for themselves. So I hope this has been useful for people who use nicotine are considering using nicotine or, want to reassess whether or not they'll continue not using nicotine thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the show
2: It's time for our roundtable discussion, where we bring together some of the brightest minds in drug policy reform to talk about the biggest issues facing us today. For today's episode, we'll be discussing the project Cute Animals Doing Drugs with Andres Lennart and Aaron nesmith Beck, the co-founders of the initiative. Thank you guys for coming on.
4: Yeah, thanks for having us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely uh, adore your website, which we're going to link to um, for all of our listeners to check out. Um, but I wanted um, to ask where you guys got, I mean, I'm mean, i sure our listeners who, aren't, who haven't maybe already seen some of the Facebook posts are curious uh, what the project is. And so I'm wondering if one of you can talk a little bit about that. And then I have sort of a second question for you.
5: Sure. So Cute Animals Doing Drugs is an apparel company we've established. And the main aim is at changing societal perceptions on drugs and drug-related issues. So the apparel designs depict cute animals doing drugs, so it's exactly as it sounds. And these are intended to help spark conversations on these topics. And the main the main premise of the project is that drug consumption is universal, it's, it's natural, and so we can speak more on that uh, later. And do you want me to speak about um, how we got the idea for this?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then maybe if you could talk a little bit too about why, um, I guess this is sort of a natural part of that question. Um, like, why did you go with apparel? Like, why clothes and bags? I, I'm curious.
5: OK, sure. So we got started with the project. So. I had been wearing, you know, T-shirts with cute animal designs on them in the past. And these would always get a, you know, really good reaction from people. You know, people would comment on them or just Mm -hmm. smile when they saw the designs. And I'd been involved with drug policy through Canadian Students for Sensible Drug Policy for a few years. And, you know, through that involvement, I'd noticed, you know, most of the drug policy related apparel, the designs were lacking in one way or another. You know, it was um, like a good example of that, I think, is the No More Drug War shirt um, by the Drug Policy Alliance or something like that, where, you know, it's a bold, explicit design. It, it gets people's attention, but I think it's just too explicit for most people. So by using these cute animal designs and, you know, combining them with uh, drug use, <laughs> um, I thought this would be a good way to more subtly, um, you know, facilitate these discussions of drug policy.
2: That's awesome! I am actually wearing a a t shirt with cats all over it right now, so I, this <laughs> is <laughs> I am the I am the perfect target market for this. Yeah, um, yeah. So you mentioned Canadian Students for Sensible Drug Policy, and our listeners should be familiar with them by now. We've uh, Alex Betzos was on a recent episode, and we've had um, Nieto and I think a handful of uh, Nasli Magzuti, um Megzudi, all. all CSSDP board members and uh, or former board members, I guess. Um, But do you both have drug policy backgrounds? Um, Or how did you how did this partnership um, sort of come together?
4: Uh, So we've been friends for a long time. Uh, We've been friends since high school. Currently we're roommates. Uh, Andres thought of the original idea and then he sort of invited me onto the project. I don't have a background in cssdp like he does but i I have been interested in uh drug policy related issues psychedelic research um all that kind of stuff for for quite a few years now
2: very cool um so that mentioning psychedelic research sort of is a good segue into one other thing i wanted to ask and talk about um you guys mentioned on your website that 10 percent um of the the proceeds or from the purchase um, will go to a sort of drug policy or harm reduction or psychedelic research um, related nonprofit, um, and I think that's fantastic. Uh, but I would love to hear more about it from your perspective um, and sort of where where that idea came from. I guess.
4: Sure. Yeah. So. Uh, like you said, 10% of the proceeds are going to be donated to organizations like MAPS, uh, Drug Policy Alliance, Dance Safe, different organizations working in sort of different fields within the overall uh, drug drug-related drug policy space. And I mean, so that in our view, that kind of follows from um, the main aim of the project, which is kind of just to move this whole thing forward. And so we think that all those different avenues are, are really valuable and, um, we're, I guess doing what we can or to support them.
2: Absolutely. I think that's great. It's, um, a, a bit different, but something we've definitely <laughs> talked about on the, the podcast before is, um, right. you know, sort of ways in which the, the cannabis industry, um, can give back to, the the nonprofits that are doing this work and sort of um, pushing things forward and so I think it's really cool to see another I don't know if industry is the right you know but another initiative um, making an effort to give back to the community um, and the nonprofits I think that's great and it also I noticed I, when I was looking on your website you guys have a section dedicated to like resources um and things like that and I didn't get a chance to fully look at all of the resources that you offer um but it seems like they're you know you've talked about wanting to get that the conversation started and and move things forward um so is is it fair to say that education um is like a big focus for you guys
5: yeah, yeah, I, d- I definitely think education is going to be an important facet in this whole, um, you know, drug policy reform movement. So, especially when you know, so our t-shirts are, our hope with them is that people will, you know, end up starting more conversations about these issues, and the more educated there are on these topics, so you know about the. The, the harms of the drug war or the you know the many the, what the ongoing research the psychedelic research is showing as to the benefits of you know therapeutic use with those substances so, so the more educated people can be about these topics in general and the more involved they can be in the different organizations so such as SSDP or CSSDP. Um, the better I think they'll be able to articulate their points and to make convincing cases as to why, you know, we need to change our societal perceptions about drugs and how, you know, many of the current perceptions are left over from, you know, the drug wars propaganda. So so I definitely think education is key. And so, I mean, that's why, you know, we've listed some resources and if anyone has suggestions as to other resources, um, people should check out. Um, you know, you can just uh, send us a message on the website and actually um, there's even a couple of books. If you're interested in the idea of animals consuming psychedelics or I'm sorry, animals consuming substances or that, that would alter their states of consciousness, there's two books we've listed there that, um, you know, provided some of the inspiration for us. So one of those was animals and psychedelics, the natural world and the instinct to alter consciousness. And the other one was intoxication, which is uh, the universal drive for mind altering substances. So both these books discuss, you know, how drug consumption is actually natural. And 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 so that's not to say, you know, everyone should be consuming drugs like just that, you know, we shouldn't. um, We we just need to accept drug consumption is natural. (laughs)
2: absolutely it's uh i think it's carl hart that says that there there's never been a drug-free world and we wouldn't want to live in one if there even if there was um but i um you know we keep we keep talking about this and the cute animals um and but unfortunately right now you know our podcast is audio um uh, and so i guess i wanted to talk mention at least that my favorite uh design um is the the pugs love drugs one um and it's <laughs> absolutely adorable you guys it's it's a, a pug with a handful of um What I am assuming are MDMA, Uh, ecstasy tablets. Yeah, that's right. Um, Because he's got the big pupils, um, (laughs) and it says "Pugs love drugs." And the really, you know, you can get it. There are different styles, like tank tops and crop tops, and different colors. Um, But I think it's great. And I wondered um, if you guys want to talk a little bit more about some of the other designs, so people. You know even though they can't see them have an idea of what they are and maybe if they're like i don't know if i imagine there's got to be a good story behind one or two of these uh <laughs> designs right
4: yeah um yeah sure so the pugs love drugs ones is kind of our take on the pugs not drugs uh design which people might have seen around like we kind of copied the style but obviously we changed the, <laughs> the text and the kind of messaging um so some of the designs are based on real instances of animals using drugs in nature. So for example, we have one with a reindeer eating the uh, Amanita muscaria mushroom, which is a psychedelic mushroom. And reindeers really do eat Amanita muscaria mushrooms in the wild. Um, And then some of the other ones are just kind of like, like fun takes and obviously the animals aren't really doing these drugs. So like you said, with the pugs, you know, pugs aren't really taking ecstasy. Like we have one, that's kind of a play on words, blue jay smoking a jay, which is a blue jay with a joint in its mouth. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a combination of those two things. <laughs> and to add to that, uh, one of the designs we have is a sloth um, who's
5: smoking a joint. And this, I, I mean, I think I even heard about it on your guys' podcast, but Australia a while back had a anti-cannabis campaign where they were using sloths um, in them and I think they were showing, so, so it would be like a sloth in a classroom and you know, he's really slow, and he's, I don't know, not able to, to do the academic schoolwork properly. Mm-hmm.
2: And then he goes was, he was to a party, too. We absolutely covered that. I did not make that connection, but that is absolutely yeah. hilarious. Yeah, that, that, that was
5: the initial inspiration for, for that design. <laughs> And, and I mean, so just to mention, we're always looking for more ideas, um, for, so, so we have a section on our website that's called submit a design. So if you have a design or idea, you know, a, a different, you know, a different animal or drug combination or anything related to that, just, you know, submit it to us and, um, we'll, we'll consider making it like some of the other ones we're considering doing in the future was so do- dolphins and puffer fish. Um, so dolphins in the wild have been known to, you know, pass around, um, puffer fish. And there's a lot of theories surrounding that, that they're getting intoxicated from that because the puffer fish are releasing
4: toxins Mm. and then another one was the, um, was the Jaguar. Yeah. Jaguars, uh, have been cited eating one of the vines that's used to make ayahuasca. So for people who don't know, ayahuasca is a. Uh, psychoactive brew that's used by the Amazonian tribes in their sort of uh, s- ceremonies and jaguars have been seen eating this vine and sort of seemingly get on, getting high on it I mean we don't know exactly what's happening for them subjectively but uh, it's definitely known that jaguars do eat that vine yeah so these are just some examples of
5: designs we're you know hoping to to get out there relatively soon but if you have any more ideas like that just you know please let us know and we'll definitely consider making it and give you a free shirt if we end up, you know, using that design, (laughs) that idea.
2: That's awesome. Um, So I know that this is a a relatively new project, but what kind of uh, reactions have you guys received so far? Has it been, you know, mostly positive and excited, or have people kind of been weirded out that you're, using cute animals to talk about something as taboo as drugs. <laughs>
4: um, mostly it's been good reactions so far actually. People seem to like the idea and different people like different designs which we think is a good sign. Um, even like wearing wearing the shirt along the street or something like sometimes you can see people see on people's faces they notice the design and their face kind of lights up or change a little bit. Um, so yeah, m- mostly been good reactions. Yeah,
5: and I'll, I'll mention, so we've been sharing the project on social media, such as Reddit, and some people were telling us that their initial reactions were, was that this was a project where we're intending to give animals drugs, and oh. so I mean, just to, to clarify, we're definitely not doing that.
2: That yes, thank you for that clarification, that is <laughs> no animals were harmed in the proce- or dosed in the process. Yeah. <laughs>
5: Yeah. Uh, and nor, nor are we encouraging anyone to, you know, dose their animals in any way. None of that.
2: Yes. Yes, absolutely not. Um, so I think, let's see, we talked about the goals of your initiative already. Um, was there anything else that we, that you, I maybe didn't ask about that you guys wanted to mention? Um. Mm-hmm.
4: I could, I'll just mention uh, sort of going off of where the idea came from, a person I often found, you know, if I was like in the back of a taxi or something or waiting at the bus stop uh, and maybe would strike up conversation with somebody, something I would often do is like kind of drop a reference to my interest in uh, drug policy or psychedelic research or even my own psychedelic experiences. And I'd often find that if the person kind of uh, noticed that and picked up on that reference, we could very often get into like a really deep and interesting conversation about these kinds of things. And so it seems like because these topics are still taboo, you still need that kind of catalyst. So what we're kind of hoping with the apparel is that it's not super overt, as we said before, but maybe it could serve as a kind of catalyst to start those kinds of conversations.
2: Very cool. And so I know the two of you are based in Canada um, is this something that our listeners like all over the world can order um, or are you guys more domestic right now um, or how's that working
4: yeah so all the shirts are printed and shipped from the US actually and we do ship internationally so anybody in any country can order
2: Awesome. That is very good news. And I'm sure our listeners will be happy to hear that. Um,
4: I'll also mention, uh, just on that point, we we do have a discount code for any of your listeners. um, So they can get 25% off their whole order if they use the discount code TWID25, the number 25. So that's TWID, This Week in Drugs, 25, to get 25% off.
2: That's even better news. So thank you. <laughs> um, <For sure. laughs> we will definitely make sure we um, put that in our show notes as well, so our listeners can check that out. Um, but that's great. Um, one thing I wanted to go back to a little bit because I don't think I fully um, fully asked about it. Because I, I think ten percent of the proceeds go to um, like. Nonprofits, but I want to say I read somewhere um, in one of your messages or on the website that um, it's not going to be the same nonprofit every time. Is that right?
5: Yeah. So we haven't we haven't hundred percent figured this out yet. But what we're hoping to do is every month cycle through different. Um, nonprofits you know working in this realm. And so every month we can you know help promote and raise the awareness of a different nonprofit. So sometimes you know we'd want to focus on you know student advocacy, so such as SSDP and CSSDP and maybe some of the international ones. Other times we'll be aiming to focus more on you know psychedelic research. So such as MAPS, I think that's the one uh, that's the one we're starting with. And so you know throughout the month we'll So so we'll be donating, um, you know, part of the proceeds of that month to that organization and also trying to raise awareness for that organization, um, as well that month.
2: Very cool. Um, so I guess kind of my last big, big picture question, um, you know, we've talked about some of the goals, but where, where do you guys see this project going? Um, like five years from now, what would, what would the ideal, uh, scenario with, with cute animals doing drugs be for the two of you?
4: Uh, so f- I think as you mentioned before, we, we did just start this. It's pretty recent. Um, uh, we're kind of experimenting and iterating a little bit as we go. So I don't know if I could if we could give a very clear vision of five years in the future, but I think, uh, we would hope that this plays a role in the kind of overall transformation of the way that society and treats all these drug related issues. So, you know, we, I guess we'd be hoping that this kind of, uh, carries the, the conversation and the movement forward as, as much as it can along with all these other organizations that we've talked about. And I can just add to that, that hopefully,
5: you know, I mean, optimistically in five years time, there will be even less of a need for projects like this because, you know, drug policy and um, perceptions around drug use will have advanced uh, considerably by that point, but I don't know, we're, we're, we're open to, to seeing where the project goes. We, like as Aaron mentioned, we we launched Monday and we're recording this on Friday, so this is just uh, four, four days later, so we, we yeah, we'll see.
2: <laughs> Moving quickly. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah I mean I guess so you guys are would like to still be doing this but you would also like for there to be less of a need for you to be doing this
4: yeah absolutely
2: and I guess yeah I said five years but you know even one year down the road you because you have a handful of um you know you have the blue jay smoking and jay you have the 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 stoner sloth um (laughs) and some of these others but you, like I said before, um, you're based in Canada. And so this time next year or pretty close to it, um, that won't be criminalized anymore. Um, at least for, well, the age will vary, I guess. But, um, how do you, do you guys think that that's going to influence anything? Um, as far as your 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 project goes um, or not really
4: uh, we might do a design for the, the defilmalization uh, like a Canadian themed one like with a moose or something <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or a, or a or beaver or something like that um, <laughs> we, we were, we were <laughs> talking about that Probably with some so ideas like, yeah
5: but, but yeah we'll, we're, we're, cool. we're, we're definitely looking forward to that
2: yeah absolutely um, so I guess the you know, we kind of hit everything that I had on my um list of questions. And unless there's anything else that you guys wanted to touch on, um we can go straight to our calls to action. Um do you guys have anything else you wanted to mention?
4: Um
2: <laughs>
4: Don't think so. Perfect. Yeah.
6: Well, uh-
2: our listeners know that we always wrap things up uh, with a call to action since educating people is pretty useless if they're not also using that knowledge to improve their communities and make positive change. Um, so if the two of you could have listeners do something right now, what would you ask them to do? Uh,
4: personally, for me, I would ask people to uh, either examine or re-examine their sort of stance on how secretive or private they are about their interest in these issues or even their own uh drug experiences i think many people kind of default to being completely private about this stuff and it's understandable because there's so much stigma but i also think that we're getting to a point now where the popular perception is shifting there's more about this stuff in the media not many, but some pretty high profile public figures come out and are totally open about their experiences with ayahuasca or uh, psilocybin or smoking marijuana. And so I think, you know, if those people are sort of in the clear with regard to punishment from the authorities, then the average person likely will be as well. Um, obviously understandable. Many people can't really talk about this stuff because of their jobs or their careers, but even just a close friend or a family member, um, just, you know, even just one conversation, one open and honest conversation about your own experience or some of the research or policy reform initiatives, I think can really help to move this conversation forward.
2: Absolutely, thank you. Um, Did we have one more call to action?
4: Yes,
5: yeah, so I can just reiterate what I was uh, saying earlier. So I really think education um, you know, like on the topic of drugs and drug-related issues, is key, especially if you're having these discussions with other people. If you can, you know, speak in, um, and speak and you know, refer to the literature or you know, refer to um, you know specific harms of drug policies or the right the ongoing research. I think you can you know, better and easier convince other people when discussing these topics. So, you know, check out the resources page on our website or, um, you know, SSDP or CSSDP, all all these organizations have tons of resources that are, you know, all available for free. So just, you know, spend a little time, uh, reading a little bit more about these and then try to share that knowledge with other people. And I think, you know, that will slowly help shift the perception about these substances and, their use and everything related to that.
2: Fantastic. Thank you both so much uh, again for coming on. Um, I do want to ask one more time. Can you repeat that discount code for our listeners?
4: Sure. So it's, it's the acronym of your podcast and then the number 25. So it's TWID 25 and that will get uh, anybody 25% off their entire order on a website. And the website is cuteanimalsdoingdrugs.com.
2: Excellent. Well, thank you both. This has been Andras and Aaron from Cute Animals Doing Drugs. Thank you, guys.
4: Thanks
3: so much. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to This Week in Drugs. If you enjoy what we do, please make sure to like, comment, and subscribe so that more people are likely to find our show. If you want to help out financially, you can find links to our Patreon and PayPal pages at thisweekindrugs.org. If you have any questions, concerns, or other feedback, you can email us at thisweekindrugs at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at This Week in Drugs. All of the show notes for this episode and more are located on our website. Again, that's thisweekindrugs.org. And we thank you for being here and enjoying the show. Our outro song today is Never Be Normal by Nathan Lee. <laughs>
6: Dancing on a Saturday it was a fine weekend to celebrate. We'd made it through the winter without any place to stay. Salute one finger to the boys in blue. Should've known what they were gonna do. Should've seen that long arm coming down, split normalcy in two. Now I know I will never be normal. I'll never be normal. I'll never be normal. I will never be normal. I'll never be normal. never be normal i never be normal. Shout F-T-P-A-C-A-B. F-T-P-A-C-A-B. I found myself a losing banshee I look sent towards an enemy I couldn't even see and each night I'm dreaming of the first With each rehearsal, it gets worse Now I barely sleep at all Ain't got no job to break the curse When I know I'll never be normal I'll never be normal I'll never be normal. I'll never be normal I'll never be normal I'll never be the metaphors, the open talk of war, unsettled scores. Some scars are simply real, and I got three or four. One on my back, two on my side, one busted, long and battered pride. And I won't hide it for decorum's sake. No, I'm not ashamed. I tried. You'll find me dancing every Saturday until they take my life away. Even though. Never be normal, never be normal